this is the last class on a practical guide to worship this morning we'll be considering scriptural singing we shall consider this under the following headings the biblical basis for scriptural singing that's the first thing we are going to look at then secondly why does the bible place so much emphasis on singing and then thirdly reasons why we sing then fourthly how to sing to the lord and then fifthly defects in worship and then lastly evaluating your worship <clears throat> i may not be able to cover everything about singing but i'll only scratch the surface um <clears throat> i hope this will be helpful to you to shape your mind and your thoughts and your heart towards singing to the lord um in a pleasing way so singing is a major part of our worship our faith is a singing faith singing is a central part of our faith we sing at the beginning of our service we sing in between our service we sing at the end of our service why because that was what we were made for do you know what you are made for you're made to worship god and the highest calling of any human being is to worship God. You're made in the image of God. You're made to know God. You're made to worship God. <clears throat> when God's people gather together to worship him, the Bible says in Psalm 22 verse 3 that God is enthroned in the midst. That God comes down and he reveals himself to us. <clears throat> Psalm 84 verse 4 says, those who, dwell in, those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. You see, praise never stops in the house of God. Praise never stops among God's people. God's people today, all over the world, are gathering or will be gathering to worship God. From continent to continent, from country to country, from town to town, from congregation to congregation, it never ceases to praise Him. The congregation of God never ceases to praise Him because God is worthy to be praised. God's people are people who sing. As I've said, singing is a precious part of our faith. We are singing people. And part of our identity as the people of God is we sing both now and forevermore. And wherever you go, and you find a true Christian, a true church, one of the marks of it is you will find them singing. Any assembled body of Christ, one of the things that will mark them is they will sing songs of praise to the Lord. You see, our singing comes from our heart because when we are converted, we are immersed with God. God changes our hearts and the praise becomes praise be, be, uh, begins to come from our heart and we sing because we want to praise God where people do not sing to the Lord they are praising themselves and the problem with people who do not worship God is that they are not grateful they are not thankful they have everyone else to blame but when you have God as your object of worship, 
you're thankful people. And so when we praise God, we do that. We do it with a, with a heart of thankfulness. <clears throat> Look at the first, the first uh, subheading, the biblical basis for scriptural singing. The biblical basis for scriptural singing. The largest book that we have in the Bible, it is a song book. For the nation of Israel, it is their hymn book, the, the book of Psalms. And when you're looking at singing, we're going to begin at creation. God creates the world in six days. And guess what happens at creation? The angels sing. You don't find that in Genesis 1 or 2. You have to look at Job chapter 38. Please turn to Job chapter 38. Verse 1 to 7, I'll read. Then the Lord answered Job out of the wild wind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid for the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its, require, its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And then listen to verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You see, God creates the world in six days. And we have the morning stars. That's, in, that's, that's a reference to the angels. We have the sons of God, a reference to the angels. What did they do? They sang together. They shouted for joy. In Isaiah chapter, chapter 6 verse 3, we have the cherubim and the seraphim. They are crying out to the Lord and saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, they are being reminded of God's glory in creation. And they have been singing that ever since. You have in Revelation chapter 14 and 15, you have the, the, the group of saints at the end of the age and they are singing and worshipping God in heaven. You see, if you don't like singing, you're not like heaven. Because in heaven they will be singing. And between creation and at the end of the redemption, redemptive history, there are major events in the scriptures that are marked by singing. What comes to your mind? What major event be between creation and at the end of the age are marked by singing. When God delivers the children of Israel from Egypt, yes. the first thing they do when they cross the sea is they sing. Yes. The first thing they cross the Red Sea, they sing. Anything that comes to mind also, especially for those who have read the whole Bible, what are the major events, what are the instances in scripture between creation and at the end of the age that are marked by 
singing. Yes. Yes. They were blowing trumpets and singing. Yeah. Yes. Yes, there was singing and even David danced. Yes, Jesus triumphant, triumphant entry to Jerusalem. Yes, when Jesus enters Jerusalem with a cult, there is singing, there is celebration, there is praise. Anything else that comes to mind? So there are many events that are marked uh, with singing in scripture. Another example could be the Song of Ascents, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Those are psalms that the nation of Israel sang as they went up to Jerusalem to, to sing to the Lord, uh, to, to, to worship God. Is that when uh, the three wise men are uh, are informed or uh, are told about Jesus Christ? Okay. Even in the New Testament, <clears throat> there are hymns that were sung in the early church. We may not have time to look at them, but Colossians chapter one verse fifteen to twenty, First uh, Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 10. These were passages. These were hymns extolling the incarnation, the work of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. They were hymns used by the early church uh, to, to, to worship God. And do you know that at the, at the institution of the Lord's Supper, turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 29 to 30. Someone can read that. Matthew 26, verse 29 to 30. Someone please read that. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is speaking with his disciples before he is betrayed. And what happens? We are told that they sang a hymn. They sang a hymn on the day that the Lord's Supper was instituted. Our Lord Jesus Christ sang 
And when, when we are gathering to sing to the Lord, we have to be aware that His Spirit is in our midst when we sing together as we build up one another. In the New Testament, we have another example of Paul and Silas. They're in prison. And what, what are they doing? They're singing. They're singing praises to God in the prison. Why? There could be many reasons, but it could be to encourage one another. And uh, even you remember the jailer whom they evangelized to, who wanted to kill himself. It could be also that in their singing of hymns, they communicated truth to the jailer. And then secondly, the biblical basis, and then secondly, why is so much emphasis placed on singing in the Bible? Why is there so much emphasis placed on singing in the Bible? I have two reasons. The first reason is God sings. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. We have an example here of God singing. This is, a, this is a very clear passage. The finale is between Habakkuk and Haggai. I'll, I'll, I'll read uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You see there, God is exalting his people with what? With loud singing. God sings. The God of heaven, the immortal, eternal, infinite, wise, powerful God is a God who sings. He sings with joy and delight over his people. And he rejoices in us because we have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Because Christ lives in us. So if God sings, if Jesus sang at the institution of the Lord's Supper, why will we not? We should sing because God sings. And then secondly, we sing because we are made in the image of God. We sing because we are made in the image of God. Because we are made in the image of God, because God is a God with affections, a God who is joyful. And those attributes are reflected in our lives as image bearers of God. Then it is natural for us to be a singing people. So there's something in our soul that reflects the Creator, that causes us to sing as image bearers. Because we are made in the image of God, we have the capacity to sing praises to Him. 
as redeemed saints, we are recreated into the image of, your, of, of Christ Jesus. And we are to sing. How in the world will you not sing in light of all that God has done for us? How in the world could we not sing while our sins have been taken away, our trespasses have been forgiven? Christ Jesus has bought us with his precious blood. There's, there should be a sense of anticipation and eagerness as we gather together as God's people. We should be joining our voices together to sing to God, to express our thanksgiving and praise to him. God has made us to reflect his image. And if he's a singing God, if Jesus Christ sang, we should as well be a singing people. God made us to sing. And then thirdly, like us to look at the reasons why we sing. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? Why can't we just take the hymn book and read the hymns in unison. Why sing? Why, why, why is truth set in poetry and sung as music? Jonathan Edwards answers this for us in his book, The Religious Affections. He explains why this song and this poetry says, and the duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. Edos is making the observation here. We sing because music has the capacity to move our heart. Because God cares about our heart. He cares about our joy. And the primary affection in the Psalms is joy. The reason why we sing truth to music is to stir our soul. You see, God is honored. God is glorified. Not only when we have good thoughts, but when we have right affections towards him. God wants you to be orthodox, to be right in your doctrine. But you see, Right doctrine should help you to sing praises to him. He wants your affection to be drawn towards him. You see, singing helps our affection in a way that brings our head and brings our heart together. Singing brings truth to bear in our affection. You see, this is the only reason why we sing. It is to excite and to move the heart. God is not only concerned with how you see, how you think, but also how you feel. You see, if you love God, we love him with our affections. And if, if we love him with our affection, that love should manifest through songs. And so if we love God, it should be natural for us that we sing. We should be engaged in our singing to God. And the purpose of that is to stir our heart for the love of God. So when we sing, for example, a song of love and gratitude, as we'll sing this morning, let us love and sing 
and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the Lord's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. That's a song of love and gratitude. That God has hushed the Lord's loud thunder. That he has taken the curse of the law, the consequences of the law. That he has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. There are songs that should bring us to repentance and contrition. It's a song, we have not loved thee as we ought. We have not loved thee as we ought, nor care that we are loved by thee. Thy presence we have coldly sought and feebly longed thy face to see. Lord, give a pure and loving heart to feel and own the love thou art. You see, even with a song of contrition and repentance, there should be joy. Because true repentance leads to, to joy. When you sing a song like, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, we should have a sense of reverence and awe to the God we sing. So the first reason why we sing is God's greatness. is because of God's greatness and God's glory. The first reason why we sing is because of God's greatness and God's glory. And this is the attribute of God that permeates all through Scripture. The Bible is about God. The Bible is a revelation of His mighty deeds. And God has manifested His glory. And the natural, natural response for us is to do what? To sing praises to Him. Listen to Psalm 47 verse 1. He says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Why? Verse 7 says, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with the Son. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. Another one, Psalm 95, verse 1 to 3. We sing to God because of His great glory. Psalm 95, verse 1 to 3. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. Why? Verse 3 says, For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. You see, God alone rules over all things. And he's great and glorious. And that is the first reason why we praise him. Secondly, we sing praises to him because of God's redeeming grace. We sing praises to him because of his redeeming grace. I hope you know that if God had never redeemed us, he would still be worthy of all praise. If God had not extended his arm, mighty arm, to save you, he'd still be worthy of eternal praise. But God has reached down and saved us. If God has saved you, how much more should you sing to him? See, 
Moses sings a song of praise and it leads to a heart of praise. Uh, Moses sings a song, of, a song of deliverance and it leads to a heart of praise for the redeemed. Psalm 40 verse 2, the psalmist says, He drew me out from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And then verse 3 says, he put, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, the psalmist is saying, God put a new song in my mouth. And this is a testimony for those who fear the Lord, that they will see the Lord. When God saves from the pit of destruction, when God delivers from the miry clay, he puts us upon the rock. And he put a song, he puts a song of praise in our mouth. Do you realize that God redeemed you so that you can worship him? Worship is our life. God made you, God created you, God redeemed you for you to worship the triune God. He made us for his praise. Those people are redeemed to praise him. We were chosen before the foundation of the world for what purpose? Ephesians, for his glorious praise. You are adopted for the praise of his glorious grace. You are redeemed through Christ's blood for the praise of his glorious grace. You are given the spirit of adoption for the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, God has done what he has done for us so that we'll be worshippers. We have in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, why does God choose a race? Why does God create a royal priesthood? Why does God create a holy nation? Why does God create a people of his own possession? 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is what we do when we listen to a sermon, when the public reading of scripture happens, when we are praying. If you're part of the royal priesthood, if you're part of God's people, you've been called out of darkness. And you're seeking to declare the excellencies of the one who has done that for you. Thirdly, so we sing, first reason is we sing, the first reason we sing to God is because of his character, his great glory. Secondly, because of his redeeming grace. And then thirdly, we sing to God because we are commanded to sing. We sing to God because we are commanded to sing. There are a lot of imperatives and commands in scripture. Commanding us to sing to the Lord. So if you sing a song like, Oh, worship the King. Oh, gratefully sing His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days. And you sing it, barely moving your lips. You see, that is violating the command of God. God tells you to sing. You see, men in general do not like to sing. And some men think that it is girlish. Some people think that it is not something very manly. But the fact is, you're commanded to sing in the Bible. And you can only sing 
when we apprehend the greatness of the God and the glory of God. And there are many instances where we are commanded to sing. Even with the song of Moses, after crossing the Red Sea, there's a command there to sing this song to the Lord. Listen to Deuteronomy 31 verse verse 19. Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. The Psalms are filled with commands. Sing, sing, sing. Sing praises to the Lord. I will praise the Lord. God commands you to sing. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. See, because it is right, it is good. For the glorious God to be praised. We shall sing to him. And then fourthly, we sing now because we'll be singing throughout eternity. We sing now because we'll be singing throughout eternity. The Bible does not tell us everything about our future in heaven. There's a glimpse of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4 and 5 in chapter 21 and 22. You may ask yourself, what will eternity be like? What will our glorified bodies be like? What will it be like to be in the presence of God? We don't know. But what we know is that the business of heaven is to worship the triune God. There's something more important than what we will become when we get to heaven. Because God is so great, God is so glorious. And it will be the business of the redeemed saints throughout all the ages to be singing his praises. See, what we do here on the Lord's Day is what we'll be doing in heaven for eternity. And if you're singing for 30 minutes and it is boring to you, you won't like heaven. But I want to tell you also that there will not be one bored person in heaven. There will be nothing boring about heaven. There is nothing lethargic about being in the presence of God. Heaven will be filled with great multitude that no one could number, Revelation 7-9 says, who will be singing praises to God. Heaven will be filled with ringing praises of our Redeemer. And then fifthly, we sing praises to God to edify one another. Another reason why we sing to God is for the edification of one another. As we sing vertically to the Lord, we also sing horizontally to one another. So the primary focus of our worship is to worship to God. (coughs) The secondary purpose of our worship is for the edification of one another. We are to be Barnabas to one another. We are to be the sons of encouragement to one another. Even if someone is singing badly, even if they have a bad voice, you should thank God that they are singing along with you. Because singing is not only for the experts. Singing is to all believers. All of us need encouragement. All of us need edification from one another. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. 
someone please read Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. word of Christ dwells richly in us then there is a consequence there that we're able to teach we're able to admonish one another in all wisdom we're able to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God you see singing should help us to teach one another singing should help us to admonish one another <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 that's a similar passage to almost similar passage to that in Colossians someone can read Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. So, what follows the imperative there, being filled with the Holy Spirit? Because he says, not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What, has, what are the results of that? The results of it is we are able to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. One of the ways you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit is because you're making melody to the Lord in your heart. You're singing praise to Him. And so, as the Word of God dwells richly in you, as the Word of God renews and transforms you, you see, it also shapes and energizes our affection. So that we can sing praises to God. So that a song like, Soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies. Through his eternal son, strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus' trust is more than conqueror. When we're singing that song to one another, we're also admonishing one another. Because you are telling one another not to trust in the arm of the flesh, but to lean upon Christ. Put the armor on. There's a song, Be still my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. For instance, if you've lost your job, your wife has lost your job, you have a sick child in the hospital, and you come to church, and you sing this song, the Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Live to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. And then he says, be still my soul. Your God will undertake to guide the future as he has passed. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. 
all now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he lived below. You see, God uses truth that is sung to strengthen us, to encourage the faint, to rebuke the sinners, and to uphold our faith. And then another subtopic is how do we sing to the Lord? How do we sing to the Lord? Before I look at that, do you have any question or comment? Any question or comment? marks that we know we are true Christians is we love to sing uh, because our hearts are filled with thanksgiving for, for God and we want to worship him, we want to praise him any question or comment okay we look at how we sing to the Lord the first point is our singing is congregational singing that is how we sing when we gather here every Sunday. Our singing is congregational singing. Our singing is not limited to a few people. See, there's a time in church history when Christians were not allowed to sing congregationally. During the Council of Laodicea, the church fathers forbade congregational singing. They forbade the use of musical instruments so that Christians became spectators. And it was not until the Reformation that congregational singing returned. We are singing congregationally because every one of us is singing to the Lord. And then secondly, our singing is intentional. Our singing is intentional. We have to be cognizant of the fact that we are singing to God. We are not entertaining people. So our singing is intentional. And then thirdly, we sing expressively with joy. We sing expressively with joy. James chapter 5 verse 13. James 5 13 says, this, is, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If you're cheerful, you sing expressively with joy. Psalm 95 verse 1 and 2. 
Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. See, brethren, you should have nothing to do with casual worship. This is not a funeral. This is the day Jesus Christ arose. This is the market day of our soul. And it's possible for us to come here with our hearts dry and parched. And you have little love for Christ. I encourage you, do not accept that as normal. Do not accept that as being biblical or reformed. That is not what the Bible says we should sing. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. When we are singing to the Lord, we should express delight and joy to him. And then next we sing expectantly. We sing expectantly. Though we may come to the house of the Lord with a lot of burden, we do not come with a negative frame of mind. There should be a, a real sense of expectation and hope. We have come here to not only worship Him, but also discover the freshness of His joy and delight which He brings. And so there should be a sense of anticipation. How do we sing another point? We sing loudly. We sing loudly. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. How do we sing? We sing loudly. You may say, I have a bad voice. If I sing loudly, I will throw people off. I'm a terrible singer. But you see, if everyone was singing loudly, your voice will be drowned in the crowd. And you don't need to have an angelic voice for you to sing loudly. You're singing to the Lord. You're not singing primarily for the sake of others. You cannot say that I'm a stoic. That is my personality. That is wrong. That is sinful. Recognize that that's a little love for Christ. Little affection for him. You should have your heart full of praise. And then next, we're going to look at the defects. Defects in worship. Defects in worship. This, these are the mistakes, these are the errors, these are the dysfunctions that we might have in our worship. Please turn to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. And the first point is dead worship. Isaiah 29, verse 13. Someone can read, please. The first defect, the first dysfunction, the first mistake we can make in our worship is that you can have a dead worship. You see, these are people who are drawing near to God to worship Him. And He's saying they are offering lip service. What is being described here is dead worship. 
the right kind of words, but no life. A lot of externals, but there's no heart, there's no mind to it. There are a lot of burning devotions to God, but it's not a reality in them. It can happen in our public reading, it can happen in our singing, our preaching, our prayer, and our singing. Some of us today can sing, and sing, sing the right words, but your hearts are far away from God. You give proper lip service, but your heart is removed from it. You could be standing, singing with a hymn book, but your mind is wandering away. Your heart is so far away. Your, heart is, your mind is focused on the things of the world. You see, God searches the heart. And he's the one who, is, who evaluates our worship. The person seated next to you cannot know if you're truly worship. Your spouse... Please listen. Your spouse cannot know if you're, if you're worshipping to God. It's God who sees your heart. He knows your heart. And you cannot fool him by saying the right words. And so the first defect is dead worship. Secondly, another defect in our worship is deficient worship. Deficient worship. This is what I mean. This is head-only worship. This is a kind of worship that is only a mental exercise where you're thinking as long as the words are right I have offered up my worship and this is a tendency especially for reformed churches and reformed people we know the content is good the doctrine is right we have read our Bibles my mind is engaged I have proper thoughts about it but my worship is deficient because it's only head worship it doesn't touch the heart See, your affections need to be stirred. Another form of this deficient worship can be mindless worship. And this is common with the charismatic movement. Mindless worship is pagan worship. That you worship God with your feelings and your emotions, but with not, 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 not with your mind. You see, both the mind and the heart must be involved in the aspect of worship. We should worship God in spirit and in truth. It's important for the contents, for the, for, for the hymn to be correct. But it's also important for your heart to be stirred up. We are not interested in lifeless worship. You don't need to make a choice between the two because you can worship God both with your head and with your heart. Another defect is Worship as entertainment. Worship as entertainment. You see, worship is not designed to entertain people. We do not choose songs to sing here to entertain you. We choose hymns to sing to, you, to, sing to God. We, we choose sing, hymns that are fitting to the occasion. And perhaps even this can be dangerous for us. Look at Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58 verse 1. 
I'll read. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob. Their sins. He said to verse 2, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not, and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Verse 3, Why have you fasted and you see it not? Why have, you humbled you, ourse- why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. See, these people are delighting in the nearness of God. These are religious fervor. This, this devotion. They're doing the right things. They are delighting in the nearness of God. But their worship is not pleasing to God. Why? Because they are not seeking after righteousness. These people are religious, but not righteous. They are doing the right thing, but God exposes them as fake. Their worship is shallow. Their worship only reveals the motives in their heart. Notice also that these people are angry. Verse 4. These people quarrel and fight. You see, a time of fasting is a time to humble yourself. But what would you have them do there? These people are proud. They are angry. They are fasting while at the same time oppressing their workers. Piper says, the danger is that we subtly sleep from loving God in these moments of to loving, loving God. In other words, we begin to suffer not the glory of God, but the atmosphere created by worship. So it's easy for us to delight in the atmosphere of our worship. And this is one of the most dangerous defects of worship. That we can love worship, but not love God. When you come here on the Lord's Day, you're here for other purposes. You're here maybe for the sake of, of doctrine because you want to hear the word of God. But you don't want to worship the true God. You're here maybe to fellowship. You have other intentions. You have other motives. So worship becomes entertaining to you rather than worshiping the true God. We are here, brethren, not because of us, but because we want to worship God. And there should be a joy in the presence of God. There should be singing and praise to Him. And then lastly, the last thing I'm going to look at is evaluating your worship. Evaluating your worship. The first thing is how do you treat the Lord's Day? See, the Lord's Day is the first day of the week. The day in which our Savior was raised up from the dead. It is the day that belongs to God. And we have sought to instill reverence for this day. And we want you to increase in your heart 
a sanctity for this day. God says there is one day in seven which requires us to devote fully to him. This is the market day of our soul. It is the day which God makes transactions with his people in a way that he does not do the rest of the week. So the first thing, if you are to evaluate your worship, you have to ask yourself, how do I use the Lord's day? It is the whole day. The whole day is devoted to the Lord. It is his day. Listen to Isaiah 58 verse 13 to 14. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or, take, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, the Sabbath for the nation of Israel was to be kept holy unto the Lord, but what, are they, what, did they, what were they doing? They were using it for this purpose of social prestige, for financial gain, for political purposes. The primary purpose here is to worship God. You're not here because if you fail to come to church, the elders will ask you where you are. You come here to worship God. And there should be preparation before cultivation. You cannot simply just walk in here without giving thought of what you're about to do. You cannot just simply flip the switch and begin to sing. Cultivation requires preparation. And that means we prepare our hearts, we prepare our minds. If you have a chaotic morning as you come to church, Your heart and mind are not in the right place to worship Him. All of us need to prepare ourselves for the worship of God. Make sure you're prepared when you come here on the Lord's Day. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is grieved by a lack of preparation. We sin against God. So we are to be an example in preparing ourselves to worship God. And then secondly, I think I've touched on it on this first point, the use of our laws there. And then secondly, how do, how do you prepare your heart for worship? I think I've, sorry for mixing up the points. Preparation, brethren, is not negotiable. If there's no preparation, do not expect to meet God. The Puritan George Swinock says, if you leave your heart with God on Saturday night, you will find it with him on the Lord's Day morning. Preparation should be taking place all throughout the week. And that requires of us to make certain choices. And then, thirdly and lastly, is your worship of God a priority? Is it something that you seek to live for? Is your worship for God something you see that I exist to worship God? That is my primary purpose here. 
When you come here, you should be able to engage both your head and your mind. If your mind wanders away, that is deficient worship. We are here as a body. We worship as a body of Christ. But if you're not totally committed to worshiping with the people of God, first of all, you're robbing God of His glory. You're also robbing yourself of the joy that comes from delighting in the Lord. Obviously, our worship will always be imperfect. But we should not diminish our worship. We should not indulge in the things that suck away our spiritual vitality. You see, if you've not been worshiping God throughout the week, don't expect much when you come here on the Lord's Day. Because all of your life is worship. What you're doing here on the Lord's Day is the pinnacle of worship, is the peak of worship. Today is the day of rest. Today is the day of worship. All of life is worship. And your corporate worship is either enhanced or diminished by your daily worship. And that's why some of you may come here and you may feel close to the Lord. And some of you may come here and you feel it's like a drought. It is boring. It is lethargic. It is, you're disinterested. And if you come here on the last day after a dry week, don't expect too much. What you do throughout the week feeds what you're going to do here on the last day. So we need to identify your sin, you need to identify your problem and depend. And ask God to help you to worship him aright. Time is really gone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that you may help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Forgive us, Lord, for our dead worship, our deficient worship, for taking worship as entertainment. Help us to seek you aright and help us to glorify you with praises. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.